0: Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. This week, we had a guest speaker join us and share a word. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service.
1: Amen. Well, I get to introduce a good friend this morning, uh, Pastor Peter Bonanno and I worked together for about five years in the eastern part of the United States. They're, amen. Who say who was woo wooing that? All right, yeah, yeah. Jack's mother's here. She's from the east, and she, yeah. Yes, the eastern part of the United States, the East Coast. We worked together for five years in a district office within our denominational structure. Pastor Peter was the district supervisor and I was a part of his staff. And we we started off, I mentioned this to a group yesterday, we started off as co-workers and then we moved to being ministry partners and then we became good friends. And now I would say, without hesitation, they're very dear friends, lifelong friends for us. Peter's a, a pastor. He's a church planter. He is a uh, was a former district supervisor. He is a former district supervisor. Now he is officially a leadership consultant, which sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound impressive, Grace? All right, make sure you're with me here. More than all of that, though, and why he's here today is that he is a great friend and a pastor with a heart for people. So, would you give a round warm of applause to Peter as he comes?
0: Good morning, everyone. That is awesome. Uh, wow. Thank you guys for having us. And we are super close friends. Um, you know, it's always good when your co-workers and those that you're wa- working alongside with um, think like you, act like you, um, challenge you, and eventually, you know, you have this, this friendship that's really lifelong. And so that's what it is for Susan and Tim and me and Lisa. We just—I uh, don't—I think probably once a week we text and we talk. And he's been a good confidant. He's helped walk me through some things. And uh, we were actually part of the sending process when. When Pastor Tim and Susan came here. And um, so we just, uh, it's just a privilege to be with you guys and to really be able to share the word with you. And I do have a confession. I do own a Fiat. So I don't know that. No, I'm only kidding. I don't. (laughs) But I did have a similar story. And it was not with a Fiat, it was with an Audi that I should have never bought. But anyway, that is another story altogether. And I was wondering, one of the other theological points of that story is. So did God make that guy crash? I don't, you know, just that. (laughs) Well, today I'm going to bring you a word which I think is in line with even this prayer we prayed for the folks that you have up there and your whole focus as a church, which is outward, right? It's not just about those that are here. We know that, right? Don't, Don't we know that the church is the only organization that exists for those outside its membership? Think about that. We don't just exist for ourselves. If we're following and walking in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus came for others, He came for us. And we get to follow Him and do likewise. And so today I want to talk about how we can do that. You know, a lot has changed in our culture very quickly, the days seem to be getting faster culture's becoming something very different than it was just a few years ago. When I talk to folks who have kids in school today, versus when our kids were in school, which we thought you know it was like it's like there's so much difference, and it's been so quickly. Um, the church is less relevant in the eyes of a lot of people, and. Um, for me personally, when I was a district supervisor, I went from pastoring to working in a district office, traveling around, visiting with different pastors and churches. It gave me kind of an insight that I didn't have when I was in it. You know, sometimes when you're in it, whether, whatever it is in your family, in your place of work, in your church, you see it from your own perspective, right? But when you pull away a little bit, you can see things a little bit differently. And for me, that was a season where it helped me to see different facets of the church and really put me back in the world in a different kind of way to see it from that kind of perspective. It caused me to rethink the church, not reject it, not deconstruct it, just to think differently about it. And asking even questions, Are what we do, are, is what we're doing working in the sense of what the church is called to be in the culture? And more importantly, for each one of us here, each, each one of us, all of us, in this message that is to be both remind, a reminder, an encouragement, and a challenge, is what we're doing personally, fulfilling the great commission of making disciples. When Lisa and I celebrated, my wife Lisa here, Lisa, could you wave and say hi? There's Lisa. When we celebrated our 25th anniversary, we wanted to do something really special. And so we had planned, saved up, all of that, and we took a trip to Venice, Italy. And oh my gosh, it was the most incredible trip. It was beautiful. Now, I'm half Italian, so I wanted to get back to Italy and get really authentic Italian food, you know, not all the other stuff that's out there and so we did this trip and it was so incredible you know there's no city like Venice it is a city that is built on water people get around by walking or by taking little ferries or maybe riding a scooter here and there but no no vehicle no cars it's just all walking and each of the areas are connected by bridges, a bridge here and a bridge there to get to one place. In addition to that, it's also a city of basilicas and cathedrals. Venice is, um, the size of Venice is 160 square miles of land. And there are about 256,000 people that live there. So on the 160 square miles, there are 139 churches. So I thought, that is amazing. They're, what a history. What a heritage there. And I was really inquisitive about the church. So one, t- one evening, on a romantic evening in Venice, we went, into, we went on a gondola ride. Well, of course, you're in Venice. You've got to go on the gondola. And so I now know what the guy is called because someone in the church told me. I thought he was called the rower, but he's actually called the gondolier. So the gondolier was rowing. And I said to him, tell me about all these beautiful churches. And he goes, oh, these churches and basilicas, they represent our beautiful city. We have seen them for years and ages. And they just, people come from everywhere to see them. And whether it's in is it St. Mark's Square or the different places? And I said, that's amazing. I said, well, do you go to one of those churches? He goes, oh, nobody goes to them anymore. It just represents who we were. It's our history. It's our heritage. It's our art. You can go in and see the beautiful Venetian tile work and the, uh, the windows, but they are not places that people go anymore to worship. And I thought about... What that is called? That's called a post-Christian society. At one time, it was very Christian, but not anymore. You know, in America, we're becoming like this. In some places, we already are like this. The fastest growing group of people, when you when you do when when they do these surveys, religious surveys, and say, what are you? What's your affiliation? Who are you affiliated with? Protestant, Christian, Judaism. Um, Hinduism, whatever it is, the largest and the fastest growing group is a group of people that identify themselves as the nuns. Not the priests and the nuns, but the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. No affiliation. They say they're spiritual. Some, some would say very spiritual, but we have no affiliation with any organization, with any community, with any church. It's the fastest growing group. So back to Venice. Venice was lovely. The food was out of this world. Sights were amazing. But the thing that stood out to me the most were the bridges. Take a look at some of these bridges. Just so the architecture, how incredible they were. But they were everywhere. The bridges of Venice we're everywhere, and that's the way you get around. The bridges go over canals. If you want to get from where one neighborhood to the next, you have to cross a bridge. There are 100, Venice is 118 small islands spanning f- with 400 bridges. So everywhere you go, you're crossing a bridge. The bridges actually hold the place together. <laughs> so today, I want to talk to you and me about what it means to help people get from one side to the next because God has called us to be the bridge to get people from where they are to one side to the other, from one side to the other. How do we do that? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a bridge to people? Because in a day when it seems like our culture is pulling at the seams where they're so disconnected, Where people are independent, doing their own thing, that their whole form of community is virtual, is online. How has God called us to be those that step in that middle place, in that gap, and become a bridge to help people get from where they are to Jesus, to the other side? Be the bridge. Bridges come in lots of shapes and sizes. There are bridges that span huge expanses, those that cross over small creeks. There are bridges even in the Midwest where there's no ocean, right where you live, right? There are bridges over creeks. There are bridges over incredible vast expanses. Where we live now, we we live in Tampa now. Tampa is a city of bridges as well. And there are big bridges, long bridges, scary bridges, Beautiful sometimes, too, because you go over the bridge and you look over the ocean and you see dolphins diving. Oh, don't look too long because you got to stay on the road. <laughs> Bridges are made of iron and steel. Bridges made of stone or wood. Bridges people fish off. Bridges people walk over. By the way, that bridge right there, it's interestingly, interesting about that bridge is... Um, They built a second bridge because the first one was falling apart, and so that's the second one right there. It's like, no thanks. (laughs) There are bridges that people jump off of the bungee. I would never bungee jump off a bridge, but some people do that. Some of you may not like driving over bridges. I have a friend, and she does not like bridges. In fact, she has a um, superstition or a tradition or whatever she But whenever she's in the car, of course not driving, but when she's in the car, she lifts her feet up whenever she goes over a bridge, as if that's gonna really make things different. I was talking to one of the young ladies here and she said that when she goes over a bridge, she looks up at the top of the the car because she doesn't like bridges either. And she said her dad is is super sensitive to that because every time there's a bridge collapse, he sends her that information. Some people are afraid of crossing over bridges. And you know, there's a good point to that because there are people in our lives that are afraid to go over. And so what do we do about that? How does God use us to be like a bridge to help people get to the other side? Well, I want you to look at a scripture found in Colossians chapter 4, and it is uh, verses 5 and 6. And I think this is a little prescription or a little recipe or kind of some good observations on how you and I can be like a bridge to other people. It says this in verse 5 and 6. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response everyone. Paul wrote this to the Colossian church. Now, that was an interesting place, an interesting time when he wrote this. There was a church that was recently established, and yet there were still all kinds of pagan influence in that city. In fact, some of it was creeping into the church. Paul was concerned about some of the theories that were coming out. One of the theories that was coming out had to do with Jesus being more like an angel Then he was the Son of God. And so he brought some correction to that in this letter that he wrote to them. There was this mixing that was taking place of Judaism and magic. And the bottom line is that in every one of the early churches, there was a cultural influence around them. That the church existed in the middle of the world. Think about that. That's us, that's you. We exist in the middle of the world. In some ways, that's a little frightening, which is why Jesus prayed for us that we would be protected. But in other ways, it's exactly where he wants us. Because when you're in that middle place, you could be the bridge to help people get from where they are to the other side. So it was nothing new to the church that, of Colossae that Paul wrote this letter to. And so he spoke to them about this, about the purity of their faith, but he did not stop there. He then talked to them about how do we take Jesus outside of the church into the world? How do we get there? Because he knew that doctrine alone, what they believed, that that alone wouldn't do it. He knew that as great as fellowship and being together and community, all of that was important, And it was strengthening, but it wasn't the end of it. So instead of giving them a message about avoiding the culture, getting away from all that seems to pollute, Paul knew that the Holy Spirit was given to the people to send them into the world, not to be like the world, but not to avoid the world so that they can be a bridge. And he says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. Little prescription for how to be the bridge. And it's easier said than done because there are things that prevent us from this. First thing is we think, well, if I go there, people are going to reject me. And so we have this fear of being rejected. Can I help you with something? You don't have to be afraid of it. It's going to happen. So just get used to it. That will happen. People will reject us. Maybe we believe people have already heard it. You know, we can be in some pockets, in some communities, in some cities where there's so many churches. Look at Venice. Of course, they've heard it already. Not necessarily. It could be that the enemy has blinded them, deafened them, so they have never really seen the truth of the gospel. Maybe we don't want to come across as pushy, or maybe we just become too busy to even think about it, that those that are all around us need to know the good news. But what if you and I could see ourselves in a position of great influence by how we live, what we say, the everydays of experience, we're off, and we could just, we don't have to always be like on, we could just be led by the Spirit. And follow his word. Let's look at how we can do that. The first thing, live wisely among those who are not believers. So here's the first tip. You got to be among non-believers. You got to be among non-believers. Say, oh, well, that's, you know, I don't don't know any non-believers. Really? That's a problem. (laughs) I remember when we had this one one guy come to our church, or actually I met him in the the ball field, when our kids were little, we, we were planting a church at the time. And uh, we went out, I went out the first day of Little League um, baseball with the kids. And in our community, they had a parade. So we start in this downtown. The kids have all their uniforms on. And we walk to the field and have a parade. And um, this was when we lived in New Hampshire. So I'm walking, and our kids are in this big dude comes next to me. And he's walking with me. He goes, oh, I can't believe I had to get up so early in the morning. He's got his big Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And uh, we start talking. And he's swearing. And you know. And then he says, and well, what do you do? So, well, I'm actually a pastor. He goes, really? Hmm, OK. So we keep walking. And this guy is like rude and crude and big and his son is playing baseball, the same team as my son. And the whole season, the whole season, I made it my goal to sit next to him at the ball, at the, on the uh, bleachers. Even when he was swearing out the ref and people were looking at me and saying, is that that pastor sitting next to that guy over there? <laughs> but let me tell you something. When it comes to being around nonbelievers... You know, I know some people say I don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do, but you better have some bad dudes in your life and do people that need Jesus. This guy Rick, he needed Jesus, and through the years—it was years—he came to know the Lord. So live wisely among those who are not believers. Our entire lives, if they're consumed, the, the way that we can kind of, if we're not careful, our whole lives could be consumed by church, church activities, church people. You know, we only hang around with those who are church people. We only do business with those who are church people. Now, I'm all, I'm all for, you know, Christian business and, and helping them. But there are people who need Jesus that also could do something for you business-wise, Whether it's repair your car, mow your lawn, or and God will put people in your life wherever they are. So think about Jesus' prayer to the Father, which you and I could be an answer to. It was called the high priestly prayer. He prayed this in John 17. He said, Father, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Okay, that's us. We're in the world. In fact, in this prayer, he says, I'm not only praying for them, but praying for those who will believe. So he's praying for us in this prayer. He said, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And then he says this, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Huh, that's interesting. But protect them from the evil one. And as you sent me, how did he send Jesus? He sent Jesus as a servant. He sent Jesus who emptied himself, who came to give of himself. As you've sent me, I am sending them. Not of the world, but in the world. Protected in the world, sent to those in the world. In order for us to be a bridge, we need to be in those in-between places. And when we're there, we're going to increase In the wisdom that he talks about, live wisely among those who are non-believers. We have the wisdom of the Lord. We have the Spirit of God within us to help us so we don't have to be afraid. In fact, we need to be confident and courageous, as God calls us, among those who don't know him. Now, you may, may or may not agree with this particular situation. There's this one group of Christians, and they're around the world, but especially in the Middle Eastern countries, that they live among Muslims, and they identify themselves as Muslims. But not just regular Muslims, but Muslims who follow Isa el-Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. So they'll go to the mosque for daily prayers. They recite the Islamic confession, but as they're reciting it, they insert and replace Allah with Jesus the Messiah. And all this to be part of a community that otherwise wouldn't even listen to them about Jesus. So they're doing it with that intention. Now, I don't, maybe that's going too far. Uh, okay, let's, let's just, I, I, personally, I think it is. But I don't think we've gone far enough. I don't think we've done enough to get in those in-between places. Second thing, the Scripture shows us Realize your part in bringing people over. Each one of us have a part. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. What are the opportunities in front of you? What is, how do we make the most of every opportunity? Do you see them? Do you look for them? Sometimes we just miss it. We're just doing life, and then after we thought, oh, I had, I, did, I could have taken it that was an opportunity to naturally do it. Not force it, but naturally. A few weeks ago, Lisa and I were in this little town, that, near this town we live, and it was around Valentine's Day, and I saw this little pop-up flower shop in front of these other stores, and so we went across and bought her some flowers for Valentine's Day, and the gal that was there selling them, she had this, this beautiful little pop-up shop, and she had a plaque next to it in honor of her mother and so Lisa started to talk to her oh tell me about your mom and she said well actually my mom passed away last week she said oh I'm so sorry and as they talked we saw just the natural opportunity to encourage this lady because it turned out her mom died at age 67 of colon cancer well my wife's mom my mother-in-law passed of the same thing at the same age. And they immediately had a connection. They exchanged phone numbers. They talked. There was tears. Because we saw the natural opportunity to connect. God gives us that all the time. He gives us these opportunities. But we can be so busy, we can miss it. Sometimes we can have supernatural insight, and that's our part, right? To ask the Lord to reveal what people are going through, their struggles, their longings. Our story can match with their story. That's how God works. He did that in our lives probably as well. So we we pray, Lord, I have a part to play. Help me. Show me how. One of the ways that we know that our part is in bringing people over is to follow what Jesus said, which is to love our neighbors. By the way, when Jesus said that, I actually think he meant our actual neighbors. I really do. I don't think it was like, oh, we just love one another. You know, we just all love one. You're a Christian, right? Yeah, we just love one another. So what's your neighbor's name next door? I don't know, but I would love one another. We just, no, we actually love your neighbors. Do a little quiz in your mind right now. Some of us are going to be better than others. We just moved to Tampa, so we are getting to know our neighbors. But what's the name of the neighbors on your left, on your right, across the street, maybe behind you? What, what's the name of your co-workers? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know what they're going through? Do you, well, how are we going to love people if we don't know them? If you know them, you can pray for them, you can talk to them, you can ask them questions. Asking questions is one of the best things to do. It creates a conversation. And then they ask you questions, right? I was at a um, a conference a few weeks ago, and um, there was a guy who was sharing with me about how he shares the gospel with people. And what he said was he just asks people questions about their life. Tell me about your life. Oh, wow. And then you know what they do? What about you? And it opens the door to share the gospel. The third thing that scripture says here, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Or as one version says, let it be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. This expression means that the things that we say to people, they lift them up. They provide help. They stir them up. To even ask more questions. You're salting the oats. One version says that we create this desire in them. It's like anything. Have you ever been to a restaurant where, you know, you're looking at the menu and you got the menu there and you go, man, that's a big menu. It's got a lot of stuff. That looks good. That looks good. Hmm, I'll probably get that. And all of a sudden the server comes by and they got this tray of food and they bring it to the table next to you and, you, and your eyes just catch that and it's like, Okay, I I know what I want now. I want that. I don't know what, that's what I want. (laughs) Whatever that is. In the same way, when people see our lives, they look at us and they say, "I, I don't know what that is, but I want that. I want what they have. You know, they went through something hard. You know, a neighbor may notice that about your life and a challenge you, but somehow they had hope and faith. It wasn't that they didn't, have some sadness in their life, but they, had, they were able to rise out of that. There was something about whatever they have, I want that. That's what it is to season it with salt. My wife is a big fan of salt. She likes a lot of salt. We get chips and salsa brought to the table. She gets the salt shaker out and puts it all over the chips. I'm saying, whoa, Lisa, too much, too much salt. But salt's in everything. They put salt in ice cream. Salted caramel. Ice cream is our favorite, isn't it? Salt is everywhere because it draws out the flavor. And what Scripture says here is our conversation seasoned with salt, graciousness. What does it mean for you to have graciousness in your conversation with people? That means you understand them. You get where they're at. We're not judgmental. Because the truth is, is that when most people... That are outside the church. If you were to ask them, what do you think about Christians, or what's your, how would you describe Christians? You know what the first thing they say is, "Oh, here's all the things that they're against, 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 against." And I'm thinking, did they? Is that what they said about Jesus? Well, tell me about Jesus. No, he. They didn't ever say he was against, except against some religious stuff. He was for the sinners. He ate with sinners. He cared for people. He served. He washed feet. I'm just telling you, the whole idea about Jesus versus what people say, and I know that it's jaded, and it's, the media adds to it, but the only way we overcome that is to be gracious. Is to be gracious. Those places where Maybe it's easy. I don't know about you, but I I feel like for me it's easy for me to assume that my rights come first. I'm kind of wired like that, and I'm so grateful for uh, uh, my wife because she's wired totally the other way. I'm like, wait a second. You know, I'm in grocery line, and I bring my stuff up to the fifteen items or less. And I notice the person in front of me has 18 items, because I count them as I'm going. I'm like, wait a second, that's not, you know, and it's like, really? I catch myself that sometimes I think it's all about me. I know you, this is like a sweet Midwestern town, and none of you feel like that ever. (laughs) But it is this, we can inadvertently forget our witness, And get caught up in our personal rights. The word tells us in 1 Peter 2.3. Taste how the Lord is gracious to us. See he's appealing. He's pleasant. It's his loving kindness that draws us. And guess what? It's our loving kindness toward others that draws them. Fourth thing. One bridge doesn't fit all. Or, back to what the verse says, it says you will have the right response for everyone. In other words, not every response, not every bridge fits everyone. There's different ways to get across. There's different needs based upon the size of the, the area or what where their heart is. So, as an example, if you were to look at a... Um, A timeline, say. And you say, okay, maybe in your Christian walk, you know, this zero is coming to Jesus. I came to Jesus and, you know, maybe I'm at eight now or seven or getting closer to 10 if that's like the ultimate. Beyond 10, you're in heaven, so you don't want to go there right now, but you're at 10, okay. But then you look back and it's a, you go all the way to minus 10. And this is somebody that's not interested in God, maybe they're against God Whatever it is, they were hurt by whoever in the church, and this is where they are. Do you know that the Lord just calls us to get people a little further along? So if you have conversations with people, I remember, like I told you about my friend Rick, who was on the ball field. He started to share with me about his life and some of the struggles he had. So he went like, he was probably starting at minus five and you know went to minus three. There were times where he asked me even to pray for him. And then one time he said, you know, when you get, because we were meeting in a school, he goes, when you get that church built, I'll even come. I think, oh man, he's getting closer. But there's a process. Discipleship doesn't start at zero. It may start when we're way back here with someone. One bridge doesn't fit all. Every one of us can have the right response for each one. The Bible says that God arranges the exact times and places for us to be alive. Think about that. This time, 2022, right where you live, the church that you go to, the community that you're a part of, the family you're in, God has arranged the exactness of that. So that, the verse continues to say, people will call upon the Lord. So we get to be the answer to that as well, because courses that we can take on evangelism they may be great, but they don't take into account that it's not just one size fits all. You can't just think asking the same questions to the same people and, and everyone's at different wavelengths that that's going to have the effect. But to be the right bridge, it's like trying to put you know this this huge bridge that we have in, in Florida that goes over the 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 Bay, Tampa Bay, and trying to put that over a little stream, it's just not going to fit. You got to know by the Spirit what is the right bridge, what is the right way. When we were planting a church, um, we were the first house that moved into our neighborhood in New Hampshire. And we made it our goal that not only were we going to pastor this church that God called us to plant, but we were going to pastor our neighborhood. And they won't even know it. They wouldn't know it at first. So we were the first house built, and the next house that went in went in up the hill. And we got to meet them um, casually, but we had this one day when we brought all of our little small group, because we only had about 15 people in the church at the time. And we said, what we're going to do is we're going to go around our neighborhood, knock on the doors, uh, introduce ourselves, and invite people to our new church. I said, that's a great idea. You know, we prayed first. I remember when we were praying, and we went, and he said, well, since we live in this neighborhood, we're going to go to that next house that was built. There was probably a total of 20, 25 houses in our neighborhood, but that was the next one, and so I remember going up to that door, knocking on the door, and this couple answered, and I said, hey, I'm Peter. We live down here. We just moved in also and just came to introduce myself, and by the way, I'm Start. We're starting a new church, and I wanted to invite you guys to come. And Brian looked at, Ever The conversation was going really good until I got to inviting him to church. And then he, like, turned a shade of white and said, um, I think I'm all set with that. Thank you very much. In a New England gruff accent. And I said, oh. it kind of caught me off guard. I said, okay. Well, look, anytime you're interested, he goes... Tell you what, don't even have to invite me to church again. And I was like, wow. Okay, Lord, I didn't expect that. I thought, and, and then I didn't. I never invited him to church again. But God started to do something in their life. Karen reached out to my wife, and they started a friendship. Pretty soon, we had a small group that met in our house, and Karen started to come because she was hungry for the Lord. She gave her life to the Lord. And, you know, I would see Brian around. We'd do neighborhood stuff, but I'd never invite him to church. Mm-mm, I ain't inviting him to church again. Then our group started to grow, and I said, hey, we need another home because we're going to multiply our group. And Karen said, well, let's use our house. It's just right up the street. And I said, well, Karen, what about Brian? Oh, he's going to be fine. So we did. We went to their house, and... Brian was there and he would never come into the small group, but he would always join us for snack time, always for snack time. <laughs> never invited him to church. <laughs> Pretty soon, Karen started to come and attend and she gave her life to the Lord, We're starting to get discipled. And well, it was probably years later that Brian reached out to me and told me about an addiction issue he was having with alcohol, and he asked if I can help him. And, well, we prayed together, we started to meet, and never invited him to church, never invited him to church, but he started to come. He started to attend, I started to disciple him, we met weekly, and God has transformed their life. Now, if I would have thought at that moment, that's the bridge, knock on the door, invite him to church, okay, Done deal. It's over. I can't do But you see, one bridge doesn't fit all. And most times, especially in our culture, it takes time. It takes love. He probably wanted to know, is it really that you just want me to come to your church? Or do you want me as a friend? Well, I'll tell you this day, to this day, they are significant leaders in the church we pastored. They... Brian and Karen oversee the Celebrate Recovery ministry, and they're just on fire for Jesus. They, they own this farm stand that every time... It's like a church. People come in, they pray for people, but it didn't happen overnight. And sometimes we can miss it if we don't allow the Lord to shape us into the bridge that he wants us to be for that particular person. In order for them to go over... Like somebody said to me between services, I don't feel safe going over. They need to feel safe. They need to feel safe. The interesting thing about bridges in Scripture, I mean, I haven't found one, but if you can, there's no bridges in the Bible. Some people say that, well, when God parted the Red Sea, that was like a bridge. Or maybe, you know, when they went over to the other side on the boat, (laughs) That was like a bridge. But really, there is a bridge in Scripture. It's the greatest example of all, and it's shown in the cross, where Jesus goes to the other side of creation in order to become a bridge that brings us from where we are to where God is. He reconciles us. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near him through the blood of Christ. Through the cross, Jesus became the bridge to God, and now it's our turn to become the bridge to others. Imagine if we approached that day by day, making that verse our prayer. Lord, help us to live wisely among those who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity. Let let our conversation be gracious, attractive, so that we will have the right response for everyone. I'd like to pray that for all of us, for me, for you. Let's bow our heads. and Lord, this word says it, Jesus. Give us the wisdom to do this, Lord. Help us to be among those who don't know you, those yet to come. Because, Lord, that was us. Each one of us in one way or another was brought to you because somebody was willing to be in that in-between for us. And then, Father, I pray that we see the opportunities in front of us. Lord, not being pushy, not being insensitive, but like your word says here, being gracious and attractive, seasoned with salt, and having the wisdom to know what situation people are in the right response for everyone. I even pray this week, Lord, that you would help us to live this out as this church is on a on a mission, on mission together, Lord. To grow personally, but also and to grow deeply, but also, Lord, to grow by the gospel penetrating lives of those who don't know you yet. That this week, Lord, you will put someone in our hearts. Give us eyes to see opportunities, Lord, around us. And we, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to force it. We just have to naturally walk by your spirit and be aware. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Tim and Susan and church, for us to be with you. You guys are super gracious, so thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the
1: web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.